Good morning, family. Everybody doing well? Enjoying winter? Amen. Isn't it such a joy and it's so special to be together today and to be in this place and to enjoy one another's company and to be in the Lord's presence and feel his, just His heart that He's with us. It's so wonderful. Over the last two months or so, uh, some of my responsibilities have kept me away from just being here with you on Sundays sometimes, and I've been engaged elsewhere. First in April, I uh, traveled to mainly the Egypt and to the U.S., and the idea with that was to come and spend some time with some of our key relationships in different places and to just reconnect and strengthen some of those relationships. And it was a very successful time as I was able to both in Egypt with Casa El Dobara that we be part of and in the U.S. meet with what you would remember, most of you would know, what is called our Partners for Influence or PFI Partners from England and the U.S. And just to meet with them and to, to discuss future things and how we work together. And it was great that uh, all of those relationships with people like Tony Miller, Stuart Bell, Dwayne White, Jack Robleski, that those are people that many of you will know, that we're all in a good place with those relationships and looking forward to grow together in our partnership with each other. Then in May, uh, it was the One Twenty series, and as a member of the Twenty Church Leaders Forum uh, that organizes the, the One Twenty event, it was important for me and that for Hatfield that we participate and support the, the month of May, and both by preaching through the the, the topics that we had, but also by doing some church swaps. So I had two churches that I swapped with over that period of time, and, and that all went really well, and we're really thankful for the unity movement in our city. It did, however, mean that some Sundays and that I missed being with you from time to time, but uh, now I'm really glad that all those things have, have done, been done, and we can settle into a bit of a normal rhythm and just do things the way that we want to do it and uh, look forward to the next month, particularly as we're going to, starting today, begin with a bit of a, a new series, just a, a mini-series that we want to do, and uh, what we're going to do for the next four weeks is journey through the book of Romans, and particularly the chapter 12 of the book of Romans. And the title of this series for this month is The Perfect Pattern, The Perfect Pattern. And uh, today I want to start with that and, and talk with you a little bit about this amazing chapter in the book of Romans uh, Romans 12, and, and I think most of you will know parts of Romans 12. There's, there's some iconic scriptures in there that speaks to us so much. If you read the verse, and uh, we don't have this on the screen, I want to read it for you from the, New America, uh, from the New International Version, the NIV, Romans 12, verse 1 to 2 particularly. And today, as we start this series, I'm going to spend time with Romans 12, 1 to 2, but I want to read it for you from the NIV. So just listen to to this version. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good and pleasing and perfect will. In this these two verses, the Scripture talks to us about patterns, and that basically it presents to us this idea that, you can, that you've got a choice between two patterns that you follow. You, first of all, you can follow a pattern of the world, or you can follow a pattern of the kingdom, but you have to choose the pattern you follow. Now, most of us are familiar with patterns or molds or something that is given to us that we can copy 
so that we can reproduce or produce something else. Now, I have a, a pattern here this morning. Can you see this, this pattern? On the screen, you can see it. Now, this is a pattern, believe it or not, of a boat or a hat, which depending on which one you want it. Now, I'm always nervous with these kinds of things because just now it doesn't work out the way I thought it was going to. But let's give it a good go. They say if I fold according to this pattern, I'm going to come out with something. So let's try this. First of all, can you see that it says one? So the first fold is down that line. Are you praying? <laughs> Don't just sit there. This can work or it cannot. Then it says a two. And then I've got to be folding it along this line. So if I fold it along that line, now I know what this is supposed to be. I really hope it works. Then it says fold three. I must fold it sort of, but not all the way down, just halfway down this page. I've got to do something like that. Just fold it halfway down. Ah, this is looking good. Something's going to happen here. Okay, now I've done that. Then it says fold four is these two. I've got to fold it down that line. Are <laughs> oh, you people of faith? Are you seeing this? Seeing things that are not as if they are. I'm seeing a, I'm seeing a boat. Okay. Mm, coming out a bit crooked and skew here. Okay. Now the last fold, it says five. I've got to fold this over here. Sorry, I need a bit of a platform to do that. If I fold it on that line, <laughs> praise the Lord, this is going to work. Ta-da! If I open it up, now I know it's very small, but there's my boat. Can you see a boat or a baby's hat? You could put it on. I don't know if I can keep that on. Work at the wimpy, then I will have a hat like this. But following the pattern, it produced something. And this is the idea that in this scripture is presented to us, that there are two patterns that is presented to us, and that we have a choice about which pattern we're going to follow, and that pattern will produce something in our lives. There's the pattern of this world and the pattern of the kingdom of God. Now, for us to understand these two patterns and to unpack this idea a little bit, let's just get a bit of context for the book of Romans. The book of Romans, I'm sure most of us have read through the book of Romans a couple of times, and it is this phenomenally deep book in terms of so much of our theology and our understanding and our doctrines we gain from the book of Romans as Paul explains things so carefully and so well. And particularly, it was written to a Gentile audience, so therefore it really helps us in particular. The book of Romans by, was written by Paul for a purpose. And if you go to Romans 1, chapter five, uh, verse 5, chapter 1, verse 5, it says the following. Just listen to this. Through Christ, God has given us the privilege and authority as apostles to tell Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them. So he's saying, we as the apostles have this privilege to tell the Gentiles what God has done for them. Now, what is this that God has done for them and why? Sorry, why do we need to tell them about this? Then he says, so that, in other words, this is the purpose, this is the reason, so that they will believe and obey him, bringing glory to his name. So that they would believe and obey him, bringing glory to his name. And if I, if I take that sentence, so that they will believe and obey him, bringing glory to his name, 
It tells us that the purpose of our lives, Jews, Gentiles, every one of us, we were created for this purpose. It is to bring glory to God. Would you agree with that if I say that? That's what the Scripture teaches us. We were made to bring glory to God, to honor God's name, to worship Him, to love Him, to represent Him. We were made to bring glory to God's name. How do we bring glory to God's name? He says this is what we've got to teach. Teach people to believe and obey. Believe and obey. So that you can bring glory to God's name. So the two things that this book does is it teaches the Gentiles how to believe, what to believe, and how to obey. And when those two things are done, our lives will bring glory to God. So the pattern in Romans is this. God wants to reproduce in you His glory. And to that end, He presents you with a pattern that consists of believing and obeying. And if you believe and obey, you will build this pattern in your life that will result in God's glory being established. Almost if you think of it like this, when an architect draws a plan and he draws a house plan, that's a pattern that is set out. And he puts all the details and all the, 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 the material that needs to be used and the elevations and the different angles. He puts all of that on a pattern, a blueprint, a plan. And then somebody comes and they take that pattern and they start building it. They start producing what is on that pattern. And eventually a house stands. And so often an architect will will. Show, show that house in programs on television or in, in books or in places. You will see these buildings and homes that were built by architects. And the architect will say, this house shows my glory as an architect. How good I am as an architect. How, how, how good my thinking is and my planning and how creative I am. This building shows the glory of the architect. Because it followed the pattern that the architect designed. And so it is. God designed us for His glory. And now He's given us a pattern, particularly in a world that has fallen and we have moved away from God. And He, and he has now come to redeem us and get us back into the pattern. That's why there exists two patterns, the pattern of the world and the pattern of the kingdom of God. Those two exist because we live in a fallen world. There are these two options. But if we allow the Spirit of God to train us and work with us according to the pattern of God, we will become a building for His glory that will point towards God, that will say, look how wonderful, how great, how creative, how amazing our God is. Because we have become the building of the pattern that He has established. That pattern follows these two steps, believe and obey. So Paul writes the book of Romans with these two thoughts in mind. Teaching people to believe and how to obey. So he divides the book in two sections. Romans 1 to 11 speaks about believing. What you must believe. So whenever you read the book of Romans and you read chapter 1 to 11, if you understand that the objective that Paul is telling you is he's telling you what you should believe. He unpacks the Old Testament, and he talks about Old Testament uh, salvation theology, and he, and he describes, and he, and he talks about the law and the, and the flesh, and, it, and he, ta- he tells us what we must believe if we want to be saved. 
Putting it another way, he tells us what Jesus has already done for us. Why it was important that Jesus came to die on the cross, rose on the third day, and that we put our faith in that because this, he tells the whole, give us the whole evidence and the whole reason for why that happened. So that when we believe in Christ, we enter into salvation. Romans 10, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you shall be saved. What must you believe? Romans 1 to 11. And then he comes to Romans 12. Now, in, when you've heard this often said, that um, when there's a therefore in Scripture, you must ask what it's there for. Have you heard somebody say that? Very clever. I didn't think of that. Let's read Romans 12, verse 1 to 2 again, and, and the guys can put it on the screen if you don't mind. Romans 12, verse 1 to 2. Therefore... I urge you, brethren, the NIV puts and sister in, so and sisters, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as living and holy sacrifices acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service and worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of the spirit of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that is which is good and acceptable and perfect. Therefore, he's changing gears. Romans 1 to 11 tells you what Jesus has done for you and what you must believe. And then he says, therefore. So in other words, if you have believed everything that is in Romans 1 to 11, if you have received Christ as your Savior, Savior therefore, you must now do the following. Now he moves over to the obey part of Romans 12. Therefore, I urge you, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as holy, as living and holy sacrifices. Now he's introducing verbs much more. He's talking about now what you must do in response to what Jesus had done for you. This is what you must now do. That's why he uses these words. He says, which is your spiritual service of worship. If you read some of the other translations, the NIV I wrote earlier, it says something like this. This is your acceptable or your proper worship. In other words, what he's saying to us, if Jesus has done all this for you, died on the cross, paid the price for your sin, forgiven you, redeemed you, brought you back from the law, if all of this was done by Jesus and you believe it, you now have a response that you have to give. And that response is your worship as a living sacrifice. That is the appropriate, reasonable, right response is a life of worship, sacrificial worship. And it's important that we see both those parts. Because sometimes we get fixated on the believe part. And we thank Jesus for all He's done for us. And we say, thank you, Jesus, that you saved me and, and that I don't deserve it and I didn't have to work for it. There was nothing I could do. And, and I'll preach about that often and talk about that's the grace of God, that His unmerited favor. I could never deserve salvation. And we can go, thank you, Jesus, that all I needed to inherit eternal life and to be part of the kingdom of God is to believe. Thank you, Jesus. But the story doesn't end there. From believing, the story moves to obeying. Obedience is not repaying God for what He had done for us. It's not some retrospective works where we say, thank you, Jesus, for what you've done, and now because of that, I'm paying you back through my obedience. No, obedience is your proper acceptable response. It's like if I come home later today and I walk into the house 
and I see one of my children and I say, hello, I love you. What is the appropriate, acceptable response that they should give me? Why is the Wi-Fi off? That's normally the response that uh, I get. Why is the Wi-Fi so slow? No, what is the appropriate, acceptable response that that child should give me? Hopefully something along the line. Hey, it's great to see you, Dad. I love you too. There's an appropriate response. The appropriate response for us, for what Jesus has done on the cross, the work He's done within us, the new life that He has created within us, is to respond by saying, Lord, I want to give you my life as a living sacrifice. And a living sacrifice is a life of obedience. And I'll, I'll link those two for you just now. And that is why Romans 12, begins, verse 1, begins with, Therefore, once you have believed, now you should practice your obedience. But let us think about obedience for a moment. To understand what obedience is, we must understand how it mean, what it means to bring glory to God. Because remember I said, to believe and obey is necessary so that we can fulfill our purpose, which is to bring glory to God. So, what does the word obedience mean? Billy Graham said this. He said, our voices, our service, and our abilities are to be employed, to be employed primarily for the glory of God. Our voices, our service, and our abilities are to be employed primarily for the glory of God. Somebody that I know puts it like this. Our human vocation is to hear God's, to, to bear God's image and likeness and to reflect God's authority and wisdom in the world, therefore, thereby joining with creation in reflecting praise back to God. It is this picture of God made this world Originally in its beauty and in its wonder and, its, and in, its, um, in its glory. So that when we look at the creation, isn't that what Romans 1 says? That when you gaze upon the creation, you see the beauty of God. It reflects the glory of God. He made you and me, Adam and Eve, in the Garden of Eden. And He poured His glory upon us. So that when you saw humans and mankind, and you saw how He made us and who we are, that that was bearers of the glory of God. But then the fall came and sin came in and it twisted everything and, the, and, and we were detached from God and we lost His glory. And over time things deteriorated and more and more we were not bearing His image. But then Jesus came and died on the cross and He restored back to us the relationship with God and He's bringing us back into His glory. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18. For, for every day there's an ever-increasing glory upon my life. More and more I'm being remade into the image of God, reestablished into who He's called me to be. And the more that happens, the more I, re I return to the ability to reflect the glory of God. So that when the people of this world and when creation looks upon us, they say, wow, look the glory of God. And that is our, our purpose. That is our giving glory to God. For me, I think of Psalm 37, verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. What does it mean to make all of your life about knowing Him and then making Him known? That's what it means to seek the glory of God. Dallas Willard said it like this. The greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those who by profession or culture 
are identified as Christians will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from Him how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens into every corner of human existence. So that every day, you and I, we are journeying with the Holy Spirit And that which He has done within us, the salvation work of Jesus Christ, is not only so that I can go to heaven one day when I die, but it is so that right here on this earth, that salvation work that is present in me is being worked out through me to bring glory to God, to reveal to people of this world who our God is. And and the Scripture says, in this He is glorified, that us earthen jars of clay bear the treasure of the king. In this he is glorified. This is the greatest miracle that God can do, is that he can take me with all my faults and all my struggles and all my problems and all how, how, how bad I am in terms of representing him if you leave me to myself, and he does this work of regeneration in me and he starts transforming me and suddenly I start looking like him. And this earthen jar of clay, this invaluable, almost useless me becomes a bearer of the King of Kings. This is His greatest miracle. And I I know it it sometimes makes you think of the donkey that carried Jesus into Jerusalem. The difference between you and me and that donkey is that donkey just carried Jesus. You and I live Jesus. We don't carry Jesus. we, We become like Him. We are transformed And that's what the scripture speaks about. So to to glorify God is to obey Him in everything. And through our obedience to be recreated into His image. And when that happens in our lives, when we are being recreated into His image through our submission to Him, our obedience to Him, it is then that worship comes forth from our lives. And we become the worshipers of the King. I want to show you a short video clip really short, from the London Institute of Contemporary Christianity. We work with these guys in terms of just some of our discipleship processes. They've got these little video clips that I think is really helpful so the guys can get it ready and we can just watch this little video clip. God so loved and reached out, came close, the shining light of heaven on earth, inviting calling, redeeming, extravagantly sharing his deep wisdom, his glory. So God helping us, let's take our lives, our ordinary lives, our sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around lives, and place them before him, our God, our King, and offer him. Teach, clean, direct in his name. Cook, create, Design in his name. Fix. Care. Speak in his name. Our lives are a river of worship for him who fills all in all. So God created us to be the bearers of his image. And today you and I, we live in this world. And sometimes we gather together as like this on a Sunday. And, and, and we come together and we capture something of who God is together. And we worship Him and we celebrate Him and we receive the Word and we encourage each other. 
but we go. And we carry Him with us wherever we go. And His glory is within us. And that glory finds its expression the more the, and more we understand what it means to live a life as a living sacrifice. Living sacrifice. This is your acceptable worship. To live as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice is a life of obedience. It's in everything to say, Lord, it's not about what I want, it's about what you want. It's being empty of myself, but being filled with Him. Now, to sacrifice often in our minds has this picture that when I sacrifice, I deny myself something. And it's true, but we're not just about sacrifice, we're about worship. So we don't just deny ourselves things, because you can do that. Anybody can do that. We deny ourselves something, and then we think sacrifice in and of itself will, will do something wonderful. It's not sacrifice that does something, it's worship that does something. Sacrifice is denying myself something in order that I make space for God and allow Him to fill that place that I have made empty. Then it is worship. If there's something in your life that you would like to see change, if there's something in your life that you would like to see different or to grow in, then I want to ask you just to do this, just to go to the Lord and say, Lord, I want to come to you as a living sacrifice. What can I put on the altar in terms of just who I am so that I can, rem I can put that before you and when I put that before you, I make space for you to come and do what you want to do. So when we sacrifice as part of worship, we always win the day. Because when we give, the little that we give in terms of our lives to God, and we say, in every decision I make, Lord, I'm going to do what you want me to do in this moment. In that moment, I make space for God to do what only He can do by giving Him the little that I have. And who I am. And then our lives become these lives of worship. That, that brings glory to God wherever we go. When you're at home. With your children. Cooking a meal. The glory of God can be displayed in that moment. When you're driving around. When you're in a workplace. When you're at school. At varsity. At the gym. Wherever you go. The glory of God goes with you. And if your life is a life of worship, which is a life of Lord, I'm obedient to you. Thank you for what you've done in me and for me. My appropriate response is now to worship you through a life of obedience. And then God can do what only God can do. Through the most simplest moments of our lives, God can do the most phenomenal things. This is the pattern of the kingdom makes me think of Ephesians 5, where Paul puts it in a different way. But I think he's trying to say the same thing. Ephesians 5, verse 1 to 2, he says, Therefore, another therefore, because of what God has done for you, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Be imitators of God. And the picture that he evokes for us, and, and when you drive into our, on a site this morning, you would have seen posters up. Did you see the posters where on the poster it said, obey, serve, follow, 
repeat. And what he's, and, and with a picture, you would have seen a father standing with a, a child by him. And it's this picture that it brings into our minds. How as parents, we, we live our lives, and our children look up at us. And beloved children, children that love you and that have good relationship with you and with whom you have a good relationship, they start imitating you. They start becoming like you because they love you. They, they sort of almost, in a sense, worship you. And they go, wow. And they, they do what you do. Sometimes it's not so nice when you see your own actions in the behavior of your children, isn't it? When, you say some, when your children say something and you go, I know exactly where they got that. But children imitate you. The, 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 the Greek of the Scripture captures an interesting picture. If you read it in its original language, it speaks about being able to imitate somebody to the point where you can mimic their walk. And in the Scripture, in, in, in English, we talk about a gate. Every person has a gate. Have you, have you noticed that? You, if you know somebody really well, and let's say it's night and it's dark, and a person, you see somebody's coming to walk towards you, but you can't see who they are. You can't see their face. But by the way they walk, you start knowing who they are. Now, a beloved child has that ability because they're so close to their parent that eventually they can pick up the way you walk and they will be able to imitate you on that level. And that's the picture that he has here. He says, God is our pattern. And we must know Him. And the better we know Him, the more we will be able to imitate Him. And in particular, it references, when it talks about God, it talks about Jesus. Because Jesus came and walked on this earth, and He became our pattern. The way Jesus lived life on this planet, when He walked on this earth, was God saying to us, this is what is possible for you. This is what I originally made you for. This was my original intent. This was my blueprint. Jesus becomes our pattern. That as He walked the earth and as we study the Gospels and we see what Jesus did, we recognize, wow, not only this is God, but this is who God made us to be. In particularly the love that Jesus had. That's why Ephesians 5 says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave Himself up for us. Imitate God, particularly in this, that you love the way Jesus loved. And that the way Jesus loved was radical. It's radical. It was so other than the pattern of this world. The pattern of this world, if you think of the times of Jesus, was being maintained and showed by the Romans and the way they treated and subjugated and, and dominated people. And in the midst of this pattern that is held up, and this, if you want to be successful, you've got to learn to be like the Romans. This is the pattern that you follow. In the midst of that comes Jesus. And in, and in three and a half short years, he established a different pattern. Completely different pattern. The pattern of love. So much so that somebody like William Leckie, and, and he's often quoted by Ravi Zacharias, William Leckie, a skeptic, Philosopher writes the following, It may be truly said that the simple record of three short years of active life has done more to regenerate and soften mankind than all the disquisitions of philosophers and all the exhortations of moralists. And this is our Christ. 
that this pattern that he brought into the world did more to change the world than any other person in all their might and all their power and all their wisdom because he lived a different pattern among us. And now we encourage to repeat that same pattern through our obedience. Therefore I urge you, dear brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. You and I have this privilege of worshiping the King of Kings. And worshiping the King of Kings includes what we did this morning, coming at, at times, whether it's here gathered together or on your own, to come and sing and to lift our hands and to praise our God and to worship Him. It includes that, but it is not only limited to that. Everything I do in obedience to the King is my worship to Him. It is me crying out, you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Whenever God says to me, do something, and I choose to obey Him and to be patterned after Him rather than being patterned after the world, I become a living testimony. This living sacrifice stands up and shouts to everybody around me, God is alive and He is good because of everything I do in Him. Whether people recognize it or not, I am worshiping Him. So I want to ask you this question. Where will you be this time tomorrow? Where will you be this time tomorrow? What's the time now? It is 10.51. Where will you be tomorrow, 10.51? Can you think about it? Who will be in bed still? Don't put up your hand. Somebody may just come and do something nasty to you. <laughs> who of you will be at work tomorrow at 10.51? Who of you will be at class, in a class somewhere Listening to a lecture, some of you. Perhaps your work is you driving. Perhaps you manning a stall somewhere or attending a shop or, or working with numbers. Whatever you'll be doing, tomorrow at 10.51, your workstation can be your worship station. Amen? Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that your workstation can be your worship station? Perhaps later tomorrow at 18.51. Some of you may be not at work anymore, but you may be in a leisure activity. You may be at home doing something as a family, just watching a bit of TV or relaxing or playing something or enjoying. You may be at gym or you may be hanging out with friends. You may be playing a sport. Can it be that your PlayStation can become your worship station? And a PlayStation, two words, PlayStation. Just for the young people, not PlayStation as in the device. I don't know if that can be a worship station. I'm just teasing. Can your PlayStation be your worship station? Is it possible that as a living sacrifice every day, I can, wherever I go, bring glory to God? How do we do this? How does this link back to a life of obedience? And I think that's where verse 2 helps us. In verse 2 he says, Do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. The NIV again says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of the spirit of your mind. Just quickly want to pause there for a moment. 
The world has a pattern. The kingdom has a pattern. For me, I have to choose which one do I give up to. If I choose the pattern of the world, it is called the pattern of the world because it is present in the world all around me. When I choose the pattern of the world, I conform. The word conform means to copy, to become like everything else around me. That's the word conform. If you conform, you give up uniqueness. You just become like everybody else. You were created by God with a unique purpose, with a unique calling, with a unique character and ability, and as a totally unique package. God made you. He thought about you. He planned you. He destined you. He knitted you together. Who you are is not just some cosmic happenstance, not some confluence of the gene pool and some external environmental issues that just came together and because your mother smoked when you were a baby, that's who you are today. All of those things has an influence, but can I tell you, overarching all of that is still a father that says, I dreamt you and I made you according to his specifications. He drew a pattern, one time only pattern. I think it still hangs in his shed in heaven. For every one of us, there's this pattern, the blueprint, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they made you. And therefore, Father God says to you, do not copy this world. You see, because when I copy this world, at best I can be the best of this world. But I have to become like others. And that's the pressure the enemy puts on you the whole time. Whenever we conform to this world, we are just giving in to his pressure to belong and to be accepted by that which is common around us. But with the price we pay is we give up our uniqueness. Therefore, the word conform in the original language has the idea of living down, of becoming less, as opposed to being transformed. The difference between Conform, being conformed and being transformed is, whereas conformed is to live down, transformed is to live up. When God comes and He transforms you, what He's doing is He's reestablishing your uniqueness. He is reviving and rebuilding the original dream and pattern that He made you according to. He is busy restoring that. And making you more you every day. Because He made you. He planned you. Only He can transform you. If you think of this picture, and we all know these pictures of transformation in nature. When a little caterpillar, this little animal that can really just move like this. Earthbound, cannot really go very far. It just exists to eat and do something else. Which is not appropriate to say in a church. That's all it does. It's this little confined life. And there's hundreds of them. When this little thing goes into the process, the metamorphosis process, and it, and it goes into the pupae, and, then it's a, and, and it spends that time. When it comes out, wouldn't it be disappointing if it came out as a smaller worm being able to do even less? <laughs> Is that what happens in nature? Or when that worm, that little caterpillar comes out of that, that, that cocoon. I can't remember what you call it in English. Cocoon, thank you. <laughs> there we go. 
my, my, my brain power has been spent. When that little worm comes out of that cocoon and it opens up and suddenly this earthbound little eating machine is a beautiful butterfly that can fly, that can go places where it never could have gone before. It is being restored into the original plan. And that's what God's busy doing in your life and my life. But that means to achieve that, do not be conformed. Don't give in to the pattern of this world and just try and belong to this world and just be accepted into this world and feel the warm embrace of this world. Resist that and fix your eyes on the pattern of the king and say, Lord, come and transform me. And that the step that you practically take from being conformed to being transformed is to surrender. To surrender in worship and to say, Lord, not me, but you. I don't want to live for me. I want to live for you. It is in that process that every day I get up and I say, Lord, today is about you. It's not about me. Lord, this decision is not about me. It's about you. This, this action is not about me, it's about you. Every day as I do that, He's recreating me. Every choice I make, He recreates me. Every time I, I choose to, to obey Him in my workplace and through that to worship Him, He's recreating me. And what He's actually doing, and it's important that, and I'm going to end with this, is that we catch these words. He is renewing the spirit of your mind. Not just your mind, but the spirit of your mind. You see, you can renew your mind by getting new information and thinking different thoughts. But to renew the spirit of your mind, that can only happen if you get a reboot and you go right back to the original intent. When, when they take a computer and they want to redo it, they don't just load new programs on it. They take the operating system out and put a new operating system in. A couple of years ago, I switched from Microsoft as an operating system to Mac OS as an operating system. And I will not say that my life is better than now. So I will not enter into that argument with you. I've loaded Microsoft. Ooh, I'm going to get in trouble now. I've loaded software that I used to have, op, that I used to use onto my new operating system. But the change happened on a fundamental level. In our lives, God is not just about giving us new information. Through a process of surrender and worship and obedience, He is remaking us on the inside into heaven's pattern. Con not conforming us, but transforming us. And only the Holy Spirit can do that in your life. Because He's literally making a worm to a butterfly. And that's not possible if somebody is not very involved and active with it. Do not be conformed, but be transformed. Tomorrow, this time, you can be worshiping God. Through the work you do, through just the life you live, you are the presence of God, the manifestation of His glory in this world as He is busy transforming you through obedience. 
we're going to talk about these four things. And today I spoke about obedience. Next week we're going to speak about serving and how that pattern establishes something new in our life. And then we'll talk about following and then how do we repeat that. And I trust that as we consider these things, a pattern will unfold in our lives that will help us to become better and better and greater and greater at worshiping our Father to bring glory to His name. I wonder if you want to stand with me just at this moment. Thank you for our musicians. Just close your eyes and as our musicians are playing, let us just come to a place where we just say, Lord, here I am. Perhaps in your mind you can hold up these two patterns and you can see the pattern of the world. I don't know how, what that looks like for you. How, how do you see that pattern? The anger, the frustration, the sin, the, the brokenness, whatever you see, see the pattern of this world and then see the pattern of Jesus who came and died for us on a cross, who loved us, who conquered this world not with an army, but through service, through loving, through taking on the form of a slave, who said if somebody strikes you, don't hit them back, turn the other cheek, a different pattern. Can you call those two things in your mind and then say, Lord, I choose your pattern. If you want to, you can bring it home and say, in my own life, I see the pattern of the world. And I see the pattern of the king. I choose the pattern of the king. And in order to choose that, we have to say, Lord, I want your glory. The goal of my life is to glorify your name. To show people who you are. To be a person that reveals you. And if I'm going to do that, Lord, I have to learn to obey you in everything. To make my decisions according to your pattern and not my pattern or the pattern of this world. Therefore, I ask you, Holy Spirit, give me the strength not to conform. Help me identify the moments in my life where I am conforming to the world. Living down. Just copying, being a cheap imitation. And perhaps right now in your life, there's things that you can say, Lord, I'm conforming. Everybody at work is speaking a certain way and I'm just copying them. I'm just mirroring them. Everybody else is doing it and therefore I think it's okay for me to do it. I'm just copying. I'm just mirroring. I'm being conformed. Everybody else behaves a certain way, speaks a certain way, thinks a certain way. I'm just copying that, Lord. Forgive me for... For that but I ask Holy Spirit that you will transform me help me to live up to, re to reinstate my uniqueness my unique calling my unique place in the kingdom to become who you've planned for me to become for your glory I'm not living for myself Lord I'm living for you 
Help me not to be conformed, but to be transformed. I choose you. Help me tomorrow when the practical, when life is thrown at me at 100 miles an hour and I have to make quick decisions and respond so quickly. Let me not respond to the Spirit according to the Spirit of this world, but according to the Spirit of Christ. Help me, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. Here I am, Lord. Can I ask you just to repeat these simple words with me? Just say, less of me, and more of you. Not my will be done, but your will be done. Lord, I thank you for each person here today. In the spirit, I, as I prepared over the last month or so on, on this message, I, I started seeing in the spirit just big spaces that God has for people, new things that he wants to do in your life. I'm seeing how God is preparing for you new things. Better things. He's wanting to transform things in your life. Right now I see how people feel stuck. They feel caught. They feel like they're in a cul-de-sac where there's no options and no, it's just stuck. You can't move forward. And the Lord says to you, the way out is find an altar and get on it. And say, Lord, here I am. I give you myself. And when you give God that something, you make space for Him to do something new. When you hold on to yourself and to your needs, that's all you get. It's the best option you've got, is that you'll get what you want. But if you release it to God, heaven's options becomes your possibilities. And God can do something more. In your job, in your family, in your relationships, in your health, let God do what He wants to do. By surrendering to Him. And Lord, we thank You that we will be a community of people that live as a testimony of Your glory in Jesus' name.